Welcome to the Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hey, you guys, welcome to today's show. Thanks for being here. We're still at home with our au naturel backgrounds, uh, but thanks for coming. Yep, uh, we're excited to be here today and we're going to talk about working with the director. Yeah, big topic, big topic. Um, but before we get to our topic, we're going to talk about our week what we like to call adventures in screenwriting. Lorraine, you go first, because I'm a little bit scattered today. Okay. I had, I'm having one of those days where I'm going a thousand directions at once. Uh, so you're gonna start. Uh, great, uh, let's see. So uh, this week was a little hard to get a handle on. I'm looking back, it's Friday, I'm looking back to the week and I'm like, what? I don't know what happened this week, but I, I know a few things, so I look back at my calendar. Um, I worked on a few different projects, um, I'm getting ready to take a pitch out. Um, and so we did another pitch, Pat, excuse me, sorry. I haven't spoken a lot yet today. We <laughs> had a practice pitch. Um, we got more notes and, and we're working on concept art for the pitch as well. And this is something I get asked about every once in a while. And I just got an email from a listener about this, you know, um, is it necessary to bring concept art to an animation pitch? And I think, yes. When you're taking out an animation pitch for TV or feature, it's really important that you bring some artwork um, because uh, it gives the potential buyers an idea of what you're going for. And concept art isn't, this is exactly what I think the show will look like or the character. It's more like, this is the direction I wanna go in and represents my vision. Um, it's also a really good opportunity to create a memorable image that will stick in the buyer's um, mind. Um, and, um, it's really important, and this is something I heard from an animation executive a while ago, that what he's looking for is a character in action. So a character standing with her hands on her hips, looking dead on a camera, smiling is fine, but is she a couch potato? Is she a thief? You know, mm. how can you express her character in motion, in movement, in the character poses that you get? Because that is what the, uh, an executive is going to remember. Mm. Um, and so, um, and, and if you can't pay an artist to do the work for you, always pay an artist if you can. They don't wanna do free work any more than writers do. If you can't pay an artist and you don't know any artists and you're new to animation, you can use found images, but it's really important to bring visuals to a pitch, I think, but especially for an animation pitch because you're asking the buyer to trust in you and invest in you to build the world. Um, so you want to show them your vision. So that's something that came out of my week. And also I'm loving doing the art direction. I mean, I mean, I have an art director working with me, but I'm loving getting the art and reviewing it and sort of discovering who this character is and what she looks like. So that's been really fun this week. It's really inspiring. That's so awesome. Well, it's interesting because like Lorraine, when we did our, our pitch, um, and other pitches I've done, um, the producers go and get, um, uh, pictures of actors that we'd put in the roles. Yes. Obviously very well-known actors, because what that does is it brings into the pitch and into your character all kinds of qualities of yep. that actor. That actor has certain qualities that they bring. 
So it's it's not in action, but in a weird way it is because you you mentally bring all the stuff you've seen that character that actress play into that role in terms of a tone of the character. And it's also interesting that they want to see the animated character in action because you know I say that all the time to writers, which is as beautiful and wonderful as dialogue can be, really the brain is taking in the story by what your character does. Right? They might have great witty lines, but what I'm really watching is their behavior. That really tells me who they are, the choices they're making to leave the room or not leave the room, to make the phone call, whatever, right? Um, and not that you can't have fun with dialogue, but really that's the deeper character stuff and that actors want to. Actors want to know their behave, what's the behavior of the character, where are their choices? So that's super interesting that in animation, they're looking for the same, right? It's the same definition. Also, um, I want to say quickly too, yeah. I love that point about bringing actors to pitches. Um, Lauren, I know you're a fan of the well, show Glow. photos. We did Fo not bring- Oh yeah, sorry, actor photos. <laughs> exactly. Thank you for clarifying. That would um, be- Amazing. I know, yeah. Come on. <laughs> bringing... She just came yeah. in. Not she's not in it, but she's just here to be represent our fish. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I was just gonna say, Lauren, I know you're a fan of the show Glow. Meg, I don't know if you watch that show at all, but um Mark Marin's really great in that show. And um he said when he was reading a breakdown of the character, they were like, picture a Mark Marin type in this role. And so often actors like even breakdowns for characters when actors are going in for auditions will use references of actual actor. Christopher Walken's another like very common reference. So I think that's really it's smart. interesting because when I worked for Jody, I don't know if it was her pet peeve because I think she had heard it so many times, but as her producing partner, I would be so kind of ugh when they would say, <laughs> you know, Susan, think of Jodie Foster. And I'd be like, okay, come on, she's sitting right here. Or <laughs> like, I do think, I think if you're actually talking to the actors or going giving a script out to that actor, you don't want to put their name in it. Like, yeah. They don't want to play themselves. They want right. to have an acting challenge and do something new and different and find a new layer and blah, 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 blah. Um, I think that's just a side note. Um, <laughs> my week was um, awesome. I started a new project. We're in research and blue skying. And that is just a fun, favorite place of mine to be. It's a lot. It's like somebody backed up a dump truck and I just, it's a lot to do because I need to go relatively fast. It's not like, hey, let's take the next three months and research all of this. Um, because I'm, I, I have a deal, right? And in those three months, I need to get a certain amount of writing done as well. So I'm constantly sifting through the interviews and the movies that I'm watching and the books that I'm reading and trying to quickly sift down into story points. Um, and I'm lucky because I have a director. So we're constantly saying, oh, this character to do that or how, do, how would that affect the plot? And really just immediately putting it down into the storytelling. I think there's benefits to that. There might be... Uh, you know, detriment to that to not let it cook in your brain but I feel like it's cooking I feel like it's cooking so but it's a lot uh to uh but I love it is that possible to be overwhelmed by stuff you love I think yes. it is I mean because that's my children I love my children but I'm still overwhelmed by them <laughs> I mean I think I think that's one of the hard parts of managing my week like I get to Friday and then it's like what I do this week because it feels like every day throughout the day I have to reprioritize things what am I getting paid for what do I want to spend my time doing? What, if anything, can fall off, right? Mm -hmm. And then I get to the end of the week and I didn't get to do that thing. And it's, and you know, uh, sometimes I have, and then I have new projects pop up or things go away and it's sort of constantly reshuffling that. That's like a whole management strategy. And then communicating with other people, like what probably isn't going to happen, right? Like if I'm working in partnership with somebody or that's, that's a big piece of managing, you know, as a freelance writer, I mean, as a 
writer in Hollywood. Writer. All writers are free, right? Yeah. Unless you're on a show. And even then the show's going to end. So back you go into the pool. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because I, I say the, the, the line, you know, whatever you're saying no to is yes to something else. But I don't know that I'm living it <laughs> as well. You know, like I tend to be like, yeah, that's a great idea. And oh, I love that. And let's do that. And I could do that. But it's like a finite life. Like, what then if I am really going to take on all those mentees, what then aren't I doing? Well, honestly, what I'm not doing is my own passion project. So I have to be super careful that I'm not. Somebody said to the other day that, you know, um, busyness can make you feel like you're productive, but it may not be. Mm. Right. And I am I, I do have this blind spot that I, my brain feels good bu being busy, but that isn't necessarily what I should be doing because it just feels productive. But right. maybe, but is it actually productive towards my passion, towards my dream? And, you know, in Hollywood, if you have to get a job like everybody does while you're trying to get your passion on the rails. Right. Like a lot of people. Right. Um, you have to be super careful because people in Hollywood and people in the world if you're going to give them their life energy, they will take it, right? To service their own passion, right? Which is what they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be servicing their passion. So it's tricky, right? Like you have to always be a little bit selfish about your time. And, you know, as a mother, that's super hard, right? Because the guilt that comes with, I'm not going to go downstairs and do the bike ride because I've not had at all time this week to do my passion project, you know, that depends on the day, right? Like maybe I really just actually need to go on the bike ride and maybe some days I don't, but I just find that it's this constant shifting priority shifting. You have to be very awake and present in your life, right? Yeah. Because you can get very much into what's happening in the future or in the past or what other people need versus right now, take a breath. He'll be okay if I don't go on the bike ride. We've done a bike ride every day this week. He'll be fine. Right. You should see and learn that sometimes you have to take time for yourself and it's okay. So that and my week was a lot of that too. And it's especially hard right now when you're confronted with your choices about around your family all day long, right? All day long. This morning I got up, I did all the stuff. I did a little work. I came back, you know, my kid is still in her pajamas watching her iPad in my bed, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, it's 10 AM. Is that what I want for her? But also I have I have stuff to do, right? So it's like, I made a choice. I prioritized myself and let her watch more screen time, you know, but it, it so it's hard. It's a constant negotiation. But to let yourself off the hook, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like I'm finding myself getting so tense because it's all good. Every, I'm so lucky. I have these beautiful children. I have this beautiful husband. I have this great new job that I love. I, I get to do this. Like, I'm so blessed. And yet part of me is like, oh my God, like I got it. What a raw. So even when it's you all, it's still there. You still, I still have to let it go and be like, okay, he's, he didn't do as much school today as probably he should have. And he doesn't know what the word they, then, and that, how to say, whatever. Okay. It's okay. So yeah. somebody put up stickers all around my town that just are pink circles and inside in white letters, it says, it's okay. Mm. Oh, all over town. It's okay. It's okay. So everywhere you walk, you see a little sign. It's okay. It's okay. And I was like, oh, so nice. So thank you. Sticker, sticker genie. Good enough. <laughs> it's okay, people. It's okay. okay. Wherever you are right now, it's okay. Um, all right. So before we discuss our main topic, Jeff, the ever wonderful Jeff is going to read a couple of podcast reviews. You know, thank you guys so much for writing in these reviews. They're super important to us. 
so that we can keep doing this. And I also want to remind you to please send us your questions at our Gmail account, the screenwriting life at gmail.com, because we're also looking for topics for the whole show. And your question might be like, oh my gosh, that's a great topic. So speaking of topics, I will say quickly, I resonated when you guys spoke about that line of working tangentially in the industry versus doing what you want to do in the industry. I feel like a lot of our listeners might be navigating that tightrope right now. And both of you have had industry jobs that I'm sure prepared you so much for what you do now, but how do you know when to make the next step? So that's a really interesting topic that I'd love to down the road. Well, let's cover do with. that. Okay. Put it on the list. I'll put it on the list. Um, speaking of, we, we have a list of wonderful reviewers. Um, you guys are just so great. We love our community, as you guys know, and we're growing more and more. I saw you guys talking about our show on the screenwriting subreddit this week, which was kind of cool. So Megan, Lauren, I'll send that to you guys as well. But um, two reviews this week. We'll keep it quick. We have um, Bonzo48280, who said, well done, I love this podcast. Some other podcasts can have this feel from the hosts of, we cracked the code on screenwriting and this is how it's done. Whereas Meg and Lorian have a much more grounded, humble approach to the struggle of being a writer. They seem to comment on screenwriting as more of a, this is what works for me, try it, and less of a, this is what you must do. It's refreshing to have screenwriting talk feel like it's coming from people who are in the same boat as me and not like I'm tapping into the minds of masters, even though Megan Lorian are brilliant. Very nice. Nice. Thank and you. And then we have quickly from KF1010, another five-star review. Appreciate the depth of expertise, useful advice, and candor from the hosts. Highly recommended. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you know, writing uh, to us is really an art, and it's such a personal thing. That's why it's art. So... There's tools in the toolbox, guys. Uh, and I think some tools are very often used. And I will want to say, why aren't you using it? Like, let's say 3x structure. But maybe you aren't. Maybe you don't have to. So then tell me why. So, uh, yeah, I very much believe in that. And I love all the other podcasts, too. Um, if you can glean new tools from it, just as long as it doesn't make you feel like shit. Yeah. If you're listening to a podcast that makes you feel like shit, then I have to ask why you're self-sabotaging. Stop it. Listening. Yeah. Listening to that. Got to got to give you energy and get you going. All right, topic: working with a director. Uh, this was a, actually a question that came in from multiple people um, about working with a director as a writer. Um, so, uh, and Lorian had a really interesting point of view, which is that she was in theater and worked with directors. And so, I'm super interested because we've never talked about that about what that was like. Do you want to start there and then move in, or what do you, how do you want to yeah, do? Yeah, I, I, I feel like my experience as a writer working with directors on plays that I've written that got to be up on stage, which is, you know, was the first biggest thrill of my life as a writer, um, is a lot like how it is in TV. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, uh, I've had a couple plays up. Uh, the one I want to talk about specifically. Uh, is uh, it was called Cocktails at Eight, and it was my first, you know, play up, and I had a wonderful director, Sandy Anderson Tarika, and it was at the Town Hall Theater in Lafayette, California, where I had been an actress there for years, so it was it felt really comfortable for me. Um, what I loved about it is that I brought the pages, and then um, then I watched, and everything I communicated about anything that was going on was to the director. I never gave notes to the actors. I never talked to anybody except the director. And it was her job then to direct the actors. And the actors would try to ask me because I was right there. And it was sort of this like, well, no, you know, we're gonna have to talk to the director about that. Because, it, and of course it was so tempting because I've directed before and I love it. 
and I'm going to do it again. And, but it was so tempting to get in there, but that wasn't my role. So I really had to, um, give the, there was the director's vision of my play, even though I was there doing rewrites as it was in rehearsal. Um, and, and so I'd bring pages, they'd have questions for me, but I had to depend on the director to, um, talk, talk with it talk through it with her privately, and then she would do it. And I felt like this really protected me too, um, because it allowed me to watch and process and make decisions about the changes that I wanted to make. And then it was up to her to manage the writers with the changes, right? And she had to make it okay for them. And I didn't have to deal with that. And also if I was really frustrated about something, um, I didn't have to let anyone know. I just talked to her privately and then she would communicate. So it kept things, kept things calm. Like I really liked the way she ran the show. Um, another play I did, the actress that we cast in the lead role was had an amazing audition, but in performance, she couldn't execute what I'd written. So I had to do tons of rewrites. And then the director had to manage with the actress why those rewrites were happening and make it okay for her and still keep her confidence up so that she could perform. And um, it was, I found it very comfortable and I felt very protected in that relationship um, because I felt it was so important to protect the show that they only hear from the director. And that it was, and it was at first it was hard, like I said, cause like, I just wanted to get in there and talk about the nuance. But I also love being part of the rehearsal process um, because the actors would have questions that I hadn't quite thought through when I was writing, like, I needed a character to leave and she would say, why am I leaving? And I'd be like, okay, that's a good question, you know? And, and you know, and sort of people, wonder, actors wondering out loud what their intentions were. And then that sort of forced me to dig back into it, but I didn't have to defend it in that moment. I got to think about it and then even talk to the director about it. So I feel like when I've heard people talk about writers producing on set episodes they've written with directors, it's a little bit like that. Mm -hmm. You know, the director's in charge, and then yeah. they can sidebar with the writer, but the writer should never be talking to the actors or, or giving- Yeah, and then in TV, it can get a little messier because those actors know you because they've seen you every week for whatever, however long it's taken to shoot this. So sometimes they'll literally just walk up to you. That's yeah. tricky, right? Um, now, if you're the showrunner, of course, you're the showrunner, right? Um, but if you're a staff writer, I found it a little bit like, oh, the director. Now, some directors didn't mind at all. They understood, hey, I'm coming in on your show and you know. Um, other directors really didn't like it. And you just had to judge what was going on. I mean, whenever you, on television as a writer, when you're finally getting to the director, you're on set having to let things go anyways, because it's shifting again, it's shifting and evolving and it's never gonna be like what it was in your head ever, ever. So it's becoming this new thing right in front of you. You have that in live action features when you actually see the movie, right? Um, that it's a big jump, right? Because you're not even on set watching it happen. Sometimes you just go to the premiere and you're like, wow, that all changed, right? Um, or I didn't see them executing it that way or whatever. Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely, you know, if you're actually working with a director on set and you're lucky enough to be there as a writer, you should never talk to the actors. I made that mistake as a young producer. My very first thing I produced, this act, this director could not answer the direct, the actor's questions and I knew the answer. And I stupidly walked over and talked to him and the look this actor gave me, I will never forget for the rest of my life. <laughs> Acted out. I can't, even, I can't even describe it. It literally was like, why do you exist? Why is your mouth open and talking? Why is it directing? Like it literally was like back off. And I was just like, whoa, that was a big mistake. 
<laughs> you know, that's, hey, that is life, man. Did I learn? I sure learned in every cell of my body to not do that. And this is um, staff writer on a show? No, this is when I was a feature. It was my very first oh. movie I ever produced. Oh, a feature. Okay. And um, it just, you know, I learned my lesson. I learned a lot of lessons on that movie, um, which we can talk about someday if you'd like. Um, uh, but, you know, you, it, because it is a relationship between the director and the actor, it really isn't your place. You can talk to the director later about it. Uh, TV shows, are, again, slightly different because you're a showrunner and you know long, longer arcs than that director. But right. um, still, it's different. And you're having to stand in uncertainty on set, you know, and again, you stand on uncertainty as in your development process and your own on your script, you're gonna eventually hopefully be on set standing in uncertainty because it's evolving and changing all around you, right? So you have to get used to that feeling, whether it's comfortable or not, You that is, that is the place of artistry, is change, is evolution, it's moving, right? In terms of development with a director in, in features, um, I have found, um, this is my belief. Again, this is how I approach it. Everybody's going to be different. I approach it that I've been hired. And I even mean if I spec'd it, because if I've sold it and they put a director on it, I'm now more like a writer for hire. Sorry, it's his now or hers. They're the director, right? And you've got to get that into your head. It, you might have originated it, but it ain't yours anymore. It is now the director's. Hopefully, you gave it to somebody, a producer, a studio, who hired a director, that wants to do what you want to do. Hopefully that happened, doesn't always happen, but hopefully you didn't hand it to a director that you didn't have long conversations with so you know that you're on the same page, right? Um, I mean, there's nothing better than a long-term writer-director relationship. That is like a beautiful, beautiful, creative, artistic relationship to have because you could, you get to know each other's language and you have the same likes and wants and you know your blind spots. It's great, it's beautiful. Hard to find, but possible. Um, but in development, my philosophy is my job is to actualize the director's vision. That is my job. Uh, I, my job is to also originate and argue when I need to argue for his best interest, i.e. But remember you told me you wanted this, but if we do that, are we getting this? And he might say, I don't want that anymore. And I'll be like, okay, then what do you want? Like, it, it is my job to protect the story for the director, for his or her intention and what they wanted, right? And that the best way to get to it. And there will be times uh, that they really just want something that you don't want. Um, and okay, then your job is to make it as good as possible, like to take everything in your being and really work to make that work. Mm -hmm. And that can be a weird dissonance inside because part of your head is like, well, if you would just do it the way I said to do it before, why are we even doing it this way? Guess what? Too bad. Sit there and figure out how to make it work. And sometimes you are going to be beautifully surprised that you have gotten to some place that you never would have gotten to on your own. The character took on a new depth or level, the, the tone of the whole thing shifted, whatever, it could be huge, it can be small, but you actually evolved as a writer, as a storyteller, because of the input of this director. And that's the beautiful time. And other times it doesn't, and you still don't like it, oh well. Like you just have to get over it because it's theirs now. So writing for a director really is about working with them for their vision. And it is a balance between having to dig up your own guts. It still has to be personal to you guys. That is the trick. It mm -hmm. still has to be something that you personally relate to. So what I do is I keep asking that director a lot of questions because I really need to get us down emotionally to a place that I get it. I really get what you're saying, right? I can feel it 
because we're down to something so beautifully specific that it actually becomes common. It's so specific, it actually becomes part of the human condition. And that means if I can get it and you can get it and the DP you just hired can get it and the marketing team can get it and we can all get it, oh my God, of course then the audience is gonna get it. It's when you don't really get it, but you're just trying to get it and write it. And then they, the producer doesn't kind of get it either. And everybody's starting to pretend they get it. Well, that those fall or just are bad, right? Because you never really got down down to it. Um, and that's last, when you get notes that feel like they were about a different project. That happens all the time, yeah. <laughs> You're like, wait, did you read this? <laughs> and that, you know, again, if it's the director, well, then really you have to have a come to Jesus moment about that's what they want. Can you write that? Can you do that? You know, I, there's tons of movies I love to go watch, but I can't write them, mm. right? So I, I've had to have the hard th come to Jesus moment with myself, which is, I would so love, who I am. I love comedy punch-up writers. I think they're geniuses. Like literally, it's like a magic trick to me. I love being in rooms and watching them just throw and throw and throw. I just love it. It is not me. And that's okay. You don't have to do everything, but you have to know what you're going to do. Are you aligning to this director and what they want to do? Talk about movie comps, super important. Movie comps give you tone. I don't mean in plot, I mean in tone. What's the tone they're going for? Holy crap, you guys might have two totally different movies in your heads because of tone, right? Yeah. The other thing I would say about directors is um, I have found that there's, there's probably 5,000 different types of directors creatively, but the two big categories that I find, and both are perfectly okay, I just don't have to, I identify which it is, which is some directors want to get down in there with you and they want to start throwing out ideas. It could be this. What about this? How about that? What if she did this? Could it be that? And they're really churning up that clay with you and mixing clays with you. And like, it is um, an idea churn, right? That it's coming from them and coming from you. And that's super fun. And there's other directors who really want you to just throw and them to go, yes, no, I kind of like that not so much that. I don't think the logic on that would work. I don't get that, but I really like that. And you just turn it, you just throw and throw and throw and throw. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're not really throwing back. <laughs> like you, it's like, you got to keep giving and giving and giving. And that is perfectly okay. That is just how some directors work. It's how their brains work. You just know that your job's going to be slightly different. Right. I think for my brain, that's harder because I like the give and take. I like the back and forth, it gives me energy. But there's other writers who prefer, no, this, I'm just gonna throw and just tell me what you like and what you don't. So it depends on you. I can do either job. It might depend on what else I've got going on, like how much time and can I can I turn myself? Like that takes a lot more of your life energy. Um, so that, again, that's just a different kinds of directors work different ways. And um, you know, if your director's a writer, there might be end up writing with you, right? Mm -hmm. And that's okay too. That's a whole different kind of relationship though. Can right. you write together? Right. Like, uh, that's a different thing. That's a totally different thing. I wrote with Pete Doctor, right? And that we had to find each other's and, and who was gonna do what and how we were gonna do it, just like any relationship, right? Um, so it, it can be complex, but it can also be beautifully complex in terms of what it, how it's pushing you as a writer. And their questions are always going to be director questions. Well, not always. They could be writer questions. They could be anything. But their director questions are really going to, in a beautiful way, test your brain. 
Like you said, an actor saying, well, why am I exiting? And you're like, oh my God, why is she exiting? Or uh, Lauren and I heard, this is about an actor, but Lauren and I were listening in a, in a, in a creative Zoom uh, collective thing where an actor was talking and he said, you know, even if I'm a supporting character in the movie, I wanna know where I end. Even if I don't, my journey does not end on screen. It's not in the movie. I, as the actor, will ask the director or the writer, well, where does this character end? Mm -hmm. Because it tells the actor where, they're, where they have to shoot that, where they have to form that, act, that, that trajectory of that character, right? So I was like, I heard that and I was like, oh boy, I better know that as a writer, <laughs> where all of these characters end, what, if it was their movie, right, as a supporting character. And I thought, oh, that's such a great writing exercise, right, to really know your stuff, right? Um, but I think it's the same for directors. Sorry, go ahead. The big question, right, is, well, not the big question. One of the questions is, who is the creative center of the project, right? And if you're a writer, it's you until you start working with a director and then it becomes them to your point, right? You're then executing their vision. If you're a TV showrunner, it's you, right? But you still need to work with the directors to get them to execute your vision, right? And on the day, it might be the director because it's their set. That's right. It's your show, but it's their set, right? That's right. Um, I, was, I was teaching at AFI and uh, we were doing thesis shorts and this wonderful writer, they, you know, they gave their shorts to these directors who were students and he was really changing it and, and asked, and she was mad. She asked to go out to lunch and she was mad. And I was like, I totally, so much empathy for how mad she was. I really did. It, she had worked so hard on this script. It was her thesis too. She had put so much of herself into it. And I really, my heart broke. I was, I was, I really had so much compassion and I had to say to her, oh, well, I don't know. He's the director. He's right. the director, and you handed him your short. I you maybe you didn't do your due diligence, or I don't even know how this works. Maybe you just got paired up randomly. I don't know. But in real life, no, you don't get to tell him that he's an idiot, and you don't get to stomp around, and you don't get to let the whole crew know how much you don't like it. You know, you don't get to do all that. You don't because you'll never work again. So right. it is, you have to, because I think sometimes I, that happens because you think, oh, that's the only one I had. And it was really her brain understanding, oh, honey, that's some, that's just the tip of the tip of the iceberg of what you're going to do, right? It, it feels so big right now and it hurts, but oh, you got a lot of, go generate something else. Go fall in love with more characters. Go fall in love with the next story if you get into a heartbreak situation because yeah. you are the generator and the manifester. Think about it in terms of all the jobs in Hollywood. You can manifest your way out of any situation you're in. Right. Mm -hmm. Directors have to wait for a lot of stuff to come together. Actors have to wait for a lot of stuff to come together. You are the artist in the chain who can write your way out of any circumstance you're in. Right. If you just do it, I know it sounds. Lauren, are you rolling your eyes at me? I know. I don't know. Meaning, I know it sounds so like Pollyannish, but um, I do believe it. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's like you know a fairy tale. It's going to happen overnight, and it takes a lot of work. But it's possible. It's possible. And I like. And yes. And the idea of working with a director, like I have the screenplay that I've written, and I want a director to read it and give me notes from a director's point of view. Like, what can I cut? How have I doubled up on scenes that I, I wasn't aware of, right? Because of the language or I got really, you know, attached to some imagery. Like, 
How can a director's vision make this better, elevated? And that's what I experienced as a playwright. I'd written this play, it was on paper, and then I saw actors up and reading it. And then the director came in with this whole new vision and it brought what I'd written to life in a way that was so magical to me. I was like, oh, now it's, a, now it's theater. It's not just a play. Right, it's not so just a great. screenplay anymore, it's a movie. Like, when they're gonna ask you all about yeah. stuff that they know they need on set, they know they need to get into the can, the visual, the this, yeah. the that, the performances, all their questions, all their logic, how's that? You know, it's such a great brain to put on your work. And I was so lucky to be a producer because I sat and watched editors and what the questions that editors are asking. Like, yeah. if you're a young writer and get in an edit room, yeah. I don't care if it's on school campus, it doesn't matter. Watch the questions and how the edit is the final rewrite and how they're the questions they're asking and watch an editor say, these two scenes are the same, cut them, let's put them here. This this whole beginning, that's backstory, out it goes. And you don't even, and you're like, oh my God, there it is. Or, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. Or, you know, when you're a producer, I was a producer on set and the line producer came to me and said, we are half a day over, you have to lose a whole scene. And this script was tight, man, it was tight. And I was like, oh my God, I had to go to the writer director. And she was like, well, the good news is I'm not a general in an army killing soldiers with this choice. It's just a movie. And I was like, good, that, that's good. That's the really where, that's, the, that's where we gotta be. That's the shoot we gotta be in. So which scene are we killing? And we just went through what we had left to shoot because by the way, other stuff has already been shot. And we realized, oh look, these two scenes really really down deep in terms of the information we need to understand the story, they're the same. They might've added nice character nuances, or but, but really in terms of the storytelling, they're the same scene. The character movement isn't shifting dramatically. The plot isn't shifting dramatically. So we merged them. Yeah. And it worked beautifully. It worked beautifully. So it, it really helps your brain to go through that, right? And see, and put yourself under that kind of uh, microscope, right? And, yeah. and obviously working with a director, it's your partner, you know, in development, it's a uh, respect, communication, curiosity, right? Trying not to come in with like, this is the thing that I'm holding on to for like, where's the hill you're willing to die on? Like, yeah, what is the thing you really care about? And you can pick that hill. And pick but, that hill is totally great advice. But you know, Respect, communication, all the things, you know. Yeah, don't come in defensive. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> that director will feel it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Trust me, they're not going to work with you again. And you're not going to be on set. If already in development, you've been defensive, right? Yeah. Which is so, hard. It's hard. It's hard. Open it's up. Fun. Open up. Yeah. It's hard. And even if, you know, that means don't talk to them till tomorrow or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, so I think we have a couple minutes left. So I do want to, we do want to get to our um, question of the week, which was about, um, the importance of having, in past episodes, we talked about the importance of having a strong relationship at the center of your project. And this was Zach wondering if uh, we could go in depth about that a little bit more. And um, what I think we were talking about is I use this phrase called a main relationship. And to me, that's the relationship that really the, is really the, 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 the thing changing the main character or really there with them through the whole thing. So Dory uh, to Marlon is a main relationship. Joy and sadness is the main relationship. Doesn't mean Riley isn't super important. Doesn't mean Bing Bong is super important, but it's it's joy and sadness are the main relationship. And that that's a relationship you can track in terms of an exercise. Decide which relationship really is going throughout the whole movie. And it's the, 
it's the it's the relationship that is reflecting the change of the main character. It might be with the antagonist, by the way, right? Um, but uh, and then watch on the structure points, which are really just character evolution points, right? Where you can track as much as you can track your character on those points, track that relationship on the points. Where does it start? How is it evolving? Um, the other thing you can do as an exercise that I did on Inside Out, well, I've done it on every movie really, um, is this is, comes from when I was working with Jody. we had a, a, a script and she felt like her character wasn't evolving, that it was flatlining. And she asked me to do a chart of her character. So on one column, I wrote the, see, the scene and what was the action happening there. And on the other column, I wrote in that scene action, what, where was her character? Mm. And then you could literally watch her character repeating, right? Mm. And you can do that with relationships. So I had a chart for Inside Out where um, I had one for joy and one for joy and sadness and watched that relationship evolve too. So I hope those two little exercises help you with relationships. Uh, Zach, if you have other questions, uh, email us and we can talk about it more. Yeah. But we're out of time. Sorry. Out of Thank you for listening. Thanks for tuning in, you guys, to, uh, uh, to us on Popcorn Talk or the Apple Podcast. Uh, uh, hope you guys are stay safe and come back next week. Wait, real quick before we go, I don't want to derail the show. Just a lot of young emerging writers listen to this show. Sure. It can be very tempting, especially when you first move to LA. I made this mistake of directors who are really hungry for material. You just kind of handing your work over and letting them run. You should have a couple generals with that director. Make sure you're really vibing on the same page and that you speak the same language in terms of the films you're looking at. Megan Lorian talked about that during, but I just wanted to review that because as a young writer, you're so thirsty to have your material made. Really take the time to vet the directors who are hungry to have your stuff produced and make sure that you speak the same language. And Sorry what to, to do with it and who do they know? And you know, yeah. you're valuable. You're as valuable as that director, Yeah. right? So don't just hand it away. Yeah, exactly. Sorry to derail the show. I just wanted to throw That's that in. That's okay. You're the producer. I thought we had to wrap up, but hey, you're right. I know. We should get out of here. So to everyone, thank you for listening. Okay. Right. Bye. Have a good weekend. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network.